today on Act News Daily. As a result of a huge growth in the production of natural gas from shale formation, production of propane has also increased dramatically. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson, who is sick today. Wah, wah, wah. Yes, I've come down with a bit of the crud, unfortunately. It's been going around our office, and uh, it seems I was the lucky one next on the list. I know you can't see it right now, Mike, but I'm playing the world's smallest violin for you. I hear it, and the tune is beautiful. Thank you, Delaney. (laughs) You're welcome. So, we've got news going on in the world of agriculture. Despite my illness, apparently the world continues to turn. It's not all just dependent on me. No, it's not. Good call there, Mike. So, what is jumping out at you? Well, actually, there's quite a bit of news going on for today. I want to kick it off, though, with the WISD report, even though we aren't discussing markets quite yet. And that's not necessarily the reaction from the WISD report, but, however, the overall release of the WISD report was of note today. I think it was like 11 to 13 minutes late because a USDA server was, quote, crashed. Yeah, the sign they put up for anybody who went to check WISD. Now, it seems as though some folks were able to get in like right at 11, 11, you know, on the not on the nose and were able to get the report. For the rest of us who checked in at 11, you know, three seconds after 11, the sign said USDA server down for routine maintenance. Boy, if you're going to schedule routine maintenance, maybe don't do it on one of the largest monthly report dates um, that comes out every month. Yeah, probably not a good plan by whoever did that. I'm sure they're going to be getting their uh, their heads chewed off at USDA, but Mike, do you want to break down the report for us, the big takeaways? Yeah. You know, by and large, the report was mainly right in line with analyst expectations. Um, The one big shocker, well, it wasn't a big shocker. A lot of the trade was anticipating a drop in corn yield, and the USDA came through. They dropped the national average corn yield from 168.4 bushels per acre down to 167, which um, then shrank the overall a U.S. corn production number from 13.779 billion bushels to 13.661. You know, not a huge reduction. The harvested acres number basically didn't change very much. So it was just enough to push the market to the upside. Soon after the report's release, corn was up six cents. It then sold off a little bit and closed well off the session highs. But uh, soybeans, basically no changes to soybeans. Um, Soybean yield estimate was was 46.9, same as last month. Production, 3.55 billion bushels, same as last month. They did raise the ending stocks, which was kind of surprising. Um, They raised the ending stocks from 460 million bushels to 475. Basically, they're just continuing to look at delayed exports as uh, the main reason why we saw those ending stocks climb. Now, it's slightly bearish in the overall scheme of things, but with phase one of this China deal still in negotiations, we could still see that number come down quite substantially. Um, The only other 
Uh, number that really jumped out was U.S. all wheat production was at 1.92 billion bushels, uh, basically just dropped it from 1.962. So they cut 40 million bushels off of total production. All in all, not a huge market mover, um, just a frustrating day for journalists and traders who were trying to get at the report at 11 o'clock. And Delaney, if I can put my tinfoil hat on for a okay. second, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this, Snafu was set up by a USDA employee who was not thrilled about perhaps maybe needing to move to Kansas City. Well, that's a, a good uh, conspiracy theory. I haven't heard that one yet, but folks on Twitter have been like, wow, look at that. The corn market traded 10 cents higher after the report was released at 11 o'clock, but 90% of people couldn't see it. Right. So maybe somebody had bought the bought the USDA. I don't know. It'll be uh, interesting to see any either. conspiracy theories on that. But talking about the U.S.-China trade deal, it seems that the White House has gone ahead and approved another round of the market facilitation program payments. So this will be the second tranche under this year's version of the MFP. And according to Secretary Purdue, the money should go out to farmers later this month or early December. And do we know where they're going to use the payment schedule as the first tranche? I assume that they are using the same payment scheme. Yes, I think we know why that tranche is in the offering today. There was conversation yesterday, rumors that perhaps the U.S. and China had agreed to mutually roll back some of their tariffs as a part of this phase one agreement. Well, earlier today, President Trump came out and said he has not agreed to roll back any tariffs on U.S. Uh, uh, Chinese goods coming into the U.S. And this has again launched a new series of doubts about whether or not this phase one deal will actually come to fruition. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. It, back and forth and back and forth. I'm tired of talking about trade deals. I'm tired of the tariff man, Mr. Trump, uh, you know, continuing to stick beside these things when, you know, anyway. Anyway, like that's of, where things stand today. Like a game of tennis, back and forth. Yeah, but tennis, you know, eventually somebody wins and loses. Mm. Here, everybody is losing. I so it's like the worst game way. of tennis. It's more yeah. like watching a game of soccer where even the observers lose because soccer is so boring. Hey, we might have some soccer fans that are tuning in. Well, I'm sorry, soccer fans, but I speak the truth. <laughs> okay. You speak your truth. But how about that? That's right. This is America. We play football. <laughs> well, one other piece of Chinese-related news, and Mike, I know you've reported on this before, but the USDA is moving forward to open the U.S. border to Chinese chicken amid final trade talks going on right now. USDA will publish a rule today on Friday that allows China to certify slaughter and certify slaughter and processing facilities to export chicken to the US. And Bloomberg also reported today that China is preparing to lift its four year ban on US chickens. So it sounds like it's gonna go both ways. Well good. Good. I think of the two of us, I, I, I haven't seen the numbers, so listeners, if you are in the poultry industry, this is something that uh, Delaney and I are fairly removed from. 
I've got to imagine that we would end up selling far more poultry into China than they would sell to us, given their protein deficit. So this should be mm -hmm. a, a good win for uh, American uh, chicken producers. Yes, I would agree with that synopsis, Mike. Well, I just have one other piece of news. It's not ag-related, but it is commodities-related. I just thought it was interesting. Delaney, you're familiar with fracking, right? The idea oh, that yeah. we can go down to the scale basins, crack it, and release this crude oil and then pump it out. Well, it has been a huge boom across parts of North Dakota and the Permian Basin in Texas. Well, it takes a lot of energy to run these fracking sites, uh, to both run the drills and then, of course, to run the pumps and, and everything else. And so Reuters has this great article about how in Texas, oil producers, fossil fuel producers are increasingly turning to solar and wind power because they can be put up there on the Texas plains and the prairies and capture the sun and the wind to power fossil fuel collection. So anyway, the article is called The Permian Paradox, Texas Shale Players Go Green to Drill More. And I just thought the irony of it was fantastic. So I'd encourage all of our readers to check it out, or all of our listeners, rather, to read the article. All right. Well, I think that's fitting. We're not necessarily talking about fracking, but we are going to be talking about the gasoline or the fuel. Is it a fuel or is it a gasoline? Propane. Propane is a, it is a fossil fuel-derived uh, fuel. Okay. It's not gasoline. Okay. Gasoline is its own, you know, like diesel and gasoline Got is it. a distillate. Well, we'll yeah. be talking about that here, the shortages, or rather the transportation issues going on in the Midwest. But I've got just two other quick pieces of news for today, Mike. The first being the disaster aid package that we saw Congress pass quite some time ago, I believe. What was that? Beginning of September? That was a $3 billion package to help producers recover from the 2018 and 2019 natural disasters under the WIP program or the Wildfire and Hurricane Indemnity programs. The USDA released a statement today that producers living in Alabama, Florida, and Georgia affected by Hurricanes Michael and Florence have $800 million available at their fingertips. And these are specifically for those producers that are not receiving normal money through either USDA insurance money or um, a private, I guess it would be private insurance. So those people that are not covered by those normal things will be able to apply with their FSA offices and sign up for that WIP Plus program to be dispersed into 2020 here. All right. Well, get out there and get them monies. Yes. And the, so, okay. So my last piece of news, I wanted to save it for last since we are talking about those propane issues. Yesterday, late afternoon, Reuters reported that ADM is waiving fees for farmers that need to dry grain. They said at three of their Midwestern corn processing facilities, including... Decatur, Illinois, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Clinton, Iowa, as long as the corn is at 19% moisture or less, farmers can bring it there and dry it for free because of the propane issues that we're seeing. Interesting. Now, this speaks to more than a propane issue. Exactly. This speaks to an issue we have 
talked about on this podcast for quite some time. It seems like every Market Monday, we have somebody on who talks about how we have been seeing end users scramble for grain, and this seems to be just another indication. This is ADM saying, hey, we need to buy more grain. We'll take it off your hands, you know, two, exactly. three percentage points more more wet. I almost said more moist, which I suppose it is. Damper. Um, yeah, more damp, right. Right. Then, uh, than usual, clearly because they absolutely got to have the the corn. Yeah, so that this was my is why thought, we too. should be seeing corn rally because this is why basis is staying so strong. Apparently, the corn just isn't out there in the countryside. Well, I think that was an indication of USDA's report today. Actually, talking about USDA's report, too, before we get to the markets, Mike, I know that they were adjusting acreage or production for Minnesota and the Dakotas. We didn't really see anything of that nature noted in today's report, though, did we? No, no, we didn't. Um, gosh, I don't have it open in front of me. There was a note on it on the wheat side, but there wasn't anything on the corn or soybean side. So I'm not sure if maybe they haven't completed the resurvey. Oh. Uh, maybe we'll see those numbers in December. I, I, Strange. Yeah, I wish I had it open in front of me. I would t- I'd fill you in better. Okay. But that sums up the news. Should we check out the markets before we start talking propane and propane accessories? Let's do it. All right, folks. And as we look at the corn market, the December corn contract was up one and a half cents at three seventy-six and three quarters. March was up two at three eighty-five and three quarters. In soybeans, the November contract dropped five and a half cents at nine nineteen and a half. January contract dropped six cents to close at nine thirty and a half. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was down two and a half cents, closed the day at five ten even. The March contract dropped three cents to finish at five fourteen and a quarter. Jumping over to livestock, where we did have some strength today, the December live cattle contract was up twenty five cents at one nineteen twenty five. February up seventeen fifty to finish at one twenty five oh two fifty. Feeder cattle, same story, a little bit of strength today. The November contract was up twenty two and a half cents at one forty seven even. The January up ten, closed at one forty five eighty seven fifty. And mixed trade in lean hogs. December lean hog contract dropped seventeen and a half cents at sixty four twelve fifty. The February up twelve and a half to finish the day at seventy three ninety. And of course, for our friends in the dairy market, a little bit of strength today in the class three milk futures. November contract was up seven cents, closed at twenty dollars in two cents. December up four to close the day at 1910. With that, Delaney, let's kick it over and let's get to the bottom of what's happening with propane in the Midwest. Well, as we continue to watch what's going on in the propane industry, we've got a great interview set up today with Jeff Petrosh from the National Propane Gas Association. He's the vice president and general counsel over there in Washington, D.C. Jeff, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Delaney. I appreciate it. So, Jeff, before we discuss really what's going on, the bread and butter of it, tell me a little bit about the National Propane Gas Association and what role you play within the propane industry. Um, National Propane Gas Association is the National Trade Association of the propane industry. We represent everyone in the propane value chain from producers down to uh, propane retailers and marketers. But the core of our membership, about 2,500 of our 3,000 members, are propane marketers in almost every county of America. And we uh, work for them with regard to standards and safety 
and also advocacy here in Washington uh, at Congress and in agencies and at state legislatures and agencies as well. And Jeff, I'm sure you've had probably a busy past week, maybe even two weeks, as we continue to hear about these propane issues from a major level. Is it a transportation issue or is it a shortage issue? It's a transportation issue, Delaney. We, we refer to it really as a logistics issue. Um, as a result of the uh, huge growth in the production of natural gas from shale formations, um, the uh, production of propane has also increased dramatically in the last 10 years um, to the point now that we have uh, really quite an enormous surplus uh, almost one out of two gallons of propane produced in America today is exported to Latin America, principally in Asia, to um, Europe as well. So it's not an issue of supply. It's an issue of where the propane is. Uh, the two major uh, propane storage facilities in America are at Mont, Mont Bellevue near Houston, Texas, and at Conway, Kansas. Um, and those are underground storage caverns. Uh, so the issue really, uh, when we focus on Iowa in particular, which seems to be having uh, the most stress at the moment, is getting propane from those facilities to the farmers in Iowa that need it for crop drying. And so I guess my follow-up question to that is, this is generally a time of year when folks are cranking up the heat, farmers need it for drying purposes. Why wasn't there something done to plan ahead, or was it simply because this is such an unusual year weather-wise, we just weren't quite ready for that? Well, it really goes to crops, Delaney. Um, we have been watching crops for more than six months now. Uh, as you know, there were large areas flooded um, particularly in the upper Midwest in the springtime. And the result was that many crops were planted later uh, because of flooding or because ground was too soft, et cetera. And so we thought there, would, there was a likelihood that there could be a late and wet grain harvest this year. We've been following it as our colleagues at the Propane Education and Research Council have uh, for the last six months. but. Uh, even in August and September, it was not clear uh, what would happen. There's a lot of dynamics uh, in this, I'm sure, as your listeners know, in terms of, of the crop and how much grain needs to be dried uh, each season. Um, and even in the first two weeks of October, it was not at all clear how this was going to end up. So uh, the crop drying situation really sort of dropped on us in the middle of October um, when it became evident that much more propane would be needed for grain drying than has been true in a number of years. Okay, got it. So I guess I should have asked this before, but when you look at the transportation of propane, for those of our listeners that maybe aren't aware of how to get it from Kansas or Texas up into the Midwest, Upper Plains, is it coming by truck? Is it coming by train or pipeline? Uh, a large amount coming into Iowa in particular and the surrounding states uh, comes on two 
liquids pipelines, the Mid-America pipeline, and the One Oak pipeline. And they together have three lines going through Iowa, uh, some of which go on to Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, etc. So a very large amount comes that way. It also comes by rail to rail terminals, and it comes by trucks. So at the moment, when the pipelines do not have the capacity to deliver the propane that the market uh, requires, uh, trucks are going from Iowa and other states down to Conway, Kansas to pick up propane and bring it back to Iowa and other states. Uh, we heard yesterday that there was a movement of empty trucks from the Carolinas and from New York into Iowa solely for the purpose of picking up propane out of state and bringing it into the state. Uh, so it moves by all three modalities, pipe, rail, and, and truck. And I guess a, a general timeline, this year is obviously an unusual one, as you've mentioned there, but what's the general timeline for getting propane into these states? And I guess looking at present issue, if producers are not having access to propane, how long can they expect to see delays on their end? Uh, we we don't have a good means of of quantifying that, Delaney. Um, unlike our colleagues in the electric and natural gas industries, where where information is available on a virtual real time basis, not true in propane. In part because propane can move these at least three different ways. So um, and there's no one who monitors on a real time basis when the commodity is moving and where it's moving into. Uh, I can tell you that propane uh, marketers are doing everything they can uh, to bring propane in by truck, by rail, and by pipe. Both state government and the federal government uh, have issued hours of service waivers that waive the regulations as to how many hours drivers can um, can uh, drive picking up propane. And that's helping, and uh, uh, state governments uh, across the Midwest are looking at this and determining what they can do to expedite expedite deliveries of propane. Well, that's certainly good news, and we've been watching that hours of service waiver as well. When you look, though, at the industry as a whole and then compared to just normal residential areas, there have been rumors, and I don't know if these are true rumors or false rumors, so hopefully you can share with us one way or the other, but rumors that schools and businesses and houses, residential areas, would get propane before agricultural practices. Is there anyone that has the authority to make that call? No, uh, no one does, but we, we do know uh, that some propane uh, marketers uh, are putting priority on delivering propane to uh, homes, businesses, uh, farms for poultry and cattle sheds, uh, recognizing that there is a need uh, for human and animal health that propane be prioritized. So we have heard some stories to that effect um, but to our knowledge, um, uh, there is no governing authority that has uh, the ability to mandate such a result. 
Got it. Okay, that makes sense. It, Jeff, for those producers that are sitting at home that are frustrated by this, is there anything that they can be doing to help speed up this process or get access to propane, or is it just a wait-and-see game? I think it's a wait-and-see game, but looking at the longer game, uh, I'm sure many of those people recall the winter of 2013-2014 where we faced some similar conditions. The answer to this in the long term is that propane retailers on the one hand and farmers on the other hand need to build more storage uh, at their facilities. And that's not only our members, but the farmers. And a fair amount of that happened after 2013, 2014. And we've heard in this context uh, stories about propane retailers being unable to site storage facilities as a result of uh, uh, government actions that would help ameliorate this kind of situation in the future. So that's a really key step that needs to be taken. That makes total sense. And hopefully we see some more reaction to this and fixing of that problem for future years. I think just the final question I've got for you, Jeff, is I know you mentioned you've had a lot of calls this week with different departments, different propane associations. What are you hearing? What are they hearing about the propane shortages and transportation issues, not shortages? Well, uh, in particular, the Iowa Governor's Office and the Iowa Propane Gas Association has hosted a number of calls with uh, probably 50 or 60 different stakeholders from government, from industry, etc. And uh, there's an awful lot of collaboration going on, and there's an awful lot of constructive work being done by those people. Um, so far, we, we have not heard any real alarm being raised in that, which I think is very positive that instead of um, uh, uh, getting hugely anxious about this, uh, all the stakeholders are simply putting their nose to the grindstone and trying to find what solutions they can to solve this issue. So it sounds like just a wait-and-see game for folks. Well, Jeff, we certainly appreciate you filling our listeners in today on the issues behind what's going on. Well, thanks very much for having me, Delaney. We, we really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and your listeners. <laughs>